let me, be, let me begin with a question this morning, and the question being this, what happens after Easter? What happens after Easter? We celebrate the empty tomb last week, seven days later, here we are. What happens after Easter? What should be our response after Easter celebration? Any guesses down here, kids? Back, back in the back? Eat the, yeah. Jesus rose? Excellent. That's what we celebrated last week. So what do we do this week? What should be our response to Easter? Anyone? Finish all the Easter candy, right? We should eat pancakes, yes. Even if we're gluten intolerant, you can eat the gluten-free pancakes. What do we do after Easter? Just finish eating all the candy? Just have pancakes? Just gorge ourselves on the on the plenty and all the sugar and syrup that we can get? Is that the response, the only response to Easter? No. Uh, no. Uh, there's a different response. There's a, there's a different response. There's a, there's a different reaction and there's a different mission that we have because of what we celebrated seven days ago, right? And let me say it like this. Well, let me let Paul say it like this. Paul's conclusion to the resurrection goes like this. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, look at what the Apostle Paul writes here. He says, he died for all, that's Jesus, okay? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for... You follow that? There's a response... There's a right response to the resurrection and to Easter, and that is, for Paul, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but that we should live for him who died for us and was raised. We should live for the one that the tomb was empty, right? He died for us, therefore we ought to live for him. And in fact, in one of the famous passages of Jesus, the ones that we've looked to often here at Centennial Church, Matthew chapter 28, I want us to turn there together this morning. We get Jesus' marching orders for his first disciples as well as for us after Easter. And so these are familiar words uh, to many of us, and I'm going to put them on the screen here if possible, but join me in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, We're going to look at verses 16 through 20 primarily, okay? And I'm going to see if I can get this fancy schmancy iPad to project up there. Looking for Apple TV is what it says. Um, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, okay? You got that? It's a good thing I am not reliant upon technology this morning, but we're working on it, okay? Uh, where's Jim? Jim and Eric. Everybody got that flip in your old-fashioned Bible, which is my, my bias, a Bible with pages, a Bible of papyrus, leather-bound, perhaps, non-electronic. I want us to read this together, okay? Actually, some of our kids read a couple verses of it earlier, but uh, verses 16 all the way through 20, Okay. 16 through 20. I want to read it out loud, okay? I'm reading from the ESV version, okay? So if you don't have the ESV version, you will be mumbling something similar, but not exactly this, okay? So uh, everybody there, if you have the ESV with me, 
uh, read along with me, okay, out loud. Here we go, okay? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You've heard these uh, verses before, right? In fact, you just heard them a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, when we had one of our Haiti missionaries here uh, to share with us. Uh, Dr. Wawa preached from this very passage, and I thought it would be appropriate to revisit it again this morning, okay? And if you remember, if you were here two weeks ago, or even if you weren't here, you might know this just from your study or from reading it just now, but uh, Dr. Wawa said this. He said that there is one main verb in this passage, okay, 19 and 20 primarily, okay? Do you remember what he said the main verb was, the main imperative? I'm going to take a drink of water while you think about it, okay? Who, that's, that's been 14 days ago, and uh, it's been a while. Who remembers? Make, make disciples, yeah, is the primary, and look, not only can they make pancakes, but they can get technology to work. Nobody did the slow clap with me, Jim. I'm sorry. Voila. Voila. Do you remember what, uh, what Wawa said the main, the main verb was? The main verb is right here. Make disciples. Maybe if you have that piece of paper on your table there, you want to write that in, in all caps. That's the main verb. It's in the imperative mood. Who remembers from your grammar class what the imperative mood is? It's a command, right? It's a command. Make disciples. That's the main idea here. That's, that's Jesus marching orders after the resurrection to his disciples and now to us. We're to make disciples. What's a disciple? And I'm gonna, we're going to be very interactive today, okay? So just picture that we're in my living room or we're in a Sunday school class and we're, we're being interactive, okay? So kids, somebody over on this side, what is a disciple? What's disciple mean? Somebody over here. Don't be shy. What is a disciple? Yes, back here. What's a disciple mean? London? You got it? What's a disciple mean? A learner. That is so good. Disciple, guys, is just an old-fashioned Bible word for learner. Or you might say a student, okay, or pupil in really old language. But a disciple is a learner. And Jesus is saying here, go and make disciples, make disciples of me. Go make learners. 
And this idea of being a, a student or being a learner of Jesus is a, is a lifelong learning, right? It's lifelong. But not only, does, uh, not only does he tell us to make disciples, but there's some other, some other verbs here. And, and somebody mentioned one of them right over here. What are the other verbs in this passage? Mr. Steve mentioned one of them just a second ago. Go, right? So we have a main verb. It's make disciples. It's an imperative mood. It's a command. Go and make disciples. But the emphasis is on make disciples. But there's also three other verbs in this passage, and they're called participles in the Greek language. Who can, again, interactive, feels like we're back in grammar school here, right? I know. But what's a participle? What'd you say, Jim? It's a verbal adjective. Never play Trivial Pursuit with Jim Hessen, okay? Guy is a maniac. Yeah, a participle is a, ver- a verbal adjective. A lot of times they're ing words, right? They modify something. And right here in this passage, the main verb is make disciples, but there's three participles actually. It doesn't look like it in English, but go in the original language is a participle. But not only go, there's another participle. It's easier to recognize, right? There is baptizing, And then the third one there is teaching. You see that? Main verb, make disciples. Three participles, three modifiers of that main verb. You could actually say going, because the way it originally reads is going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, and then baptizing, and then teaching. Okay? We'll come back to that in in just a second, but let's go back to verse 16 for a second and just kind of walk through this. When we first start, uh, when we first start the passage here, how does how does verse sixteen begin? Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee. You have to ask yourself the question: Well, what does he mean now? When is now? Well, this is where I say this comes right after Easter, right? If you look back, I won't turn there, okay, or scroll there, I should say. Uh, But if you look back at the beginning of chapter 28, what's the first word of chapter 28? Loud. Now, okay? What happens at the beginning of 28? The beginning of 28, uh, the followers of Jesus go to the tomb and they find that it's empty. Now, after the Sabbath, that's Sunday, they go to the tomb and they find that it's empty and that Jesus, they, they see an angel there. And you look at verses uh, 6 and 7, it says, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Go then quickly and tell his disciples. So what now tells us in verse 16 is this, this relates to the beginning of chapter 28, which was about the resurrection. So the resurrection happens, and then Jesus begins to appear to his disciples. And these are some of the very important words that he gives to his disciples, his students, after the resurrection. And here we are a week later, after Easter, after the resurrection. And so now, the 11 disciples, now kids, somebody tell me why I thought there were 12 disciples. What happened to that 12th one? You guys are very quiet this morning. Yeah, Riley, what happened to that 12th one? Who was that? Judas, yeah, where did he go? That's right, he betrayed Jesus. So now, he's letting us know, now the 11 disciples 
went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshiped him. What's our response to the resurrection? What was their response to the resurrection? Worship. That's a right response to the resurrection, right? Every Sunday since Easter, people have gathered to worship. But look what else the Bible is honest about. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but, you see that? But, some doubted. Hey, let me tell you something. If you have doubts in your worship, you're in good company. So did the very first followers of Jesus. They worshiped, but they doubted. I think sometimes we come to church and we think we gotta have it all together or we can't have any questions about God or God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? Guess what? If you're really honest, anytime you worship, you also have some doubt. You also have some questions. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. We move on here. In the midst of their worship, it doesn't just stop at worship. Jesus is going to tell them, don't just gather and worship, but also scatter and go. Scatter and go make disciples, right? So the response to the resurrection is not only worship. The response to the resurrection is both worship and witness. Okay? Whoops. Sorry. Uh, Jesus came to them, make disciples. Some doubted, and he came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in the midst of their worship and in the midst of their doubt, Jesus gives them this commission to go and to make disciples. And how far are they to go in making disciples? Just Jerusalem? Just Galilee? No. All nations. That means, folks, that our responsibility is, guess what? Not just to Texas, not just to Frisco or McKinney, but also to Haiti and to Romania. We've got Cornelio over here. His friend Michael's come on his way back from Romania, a mission trip in Romania. Jesus tells these 11 guys, and he tells you and me to go to all the nations and make disciples in those three participles again, those three participles again, going, baptizing, and teaching them, okay? I want to think for just a minute, for a little bit longer, about this idea of baptizing, okay? How many of you think it's important to uh, go and tell people about Jesus? Raise your hands. How many of you think that as we go and tell people about Jesus and or even as we follow Jesus, it's important that we're taught to be taught, teaching them to obey? Everybody believe teaching is important, really important, non-negotiable, got to do it? What about going? Non-negotiable, got to do it, 
Okay, so now let's try a third one. Baptizing. How many of you think that's non-negotiable? Really important. Yeah. Baptism is really, really important. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. And one of the first things you're going to do to those disciples when they become a follower of Jesus is you're going to baptize them. And you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me get a drink of water here, okay? And when you baptize them, what is that showing the world? Why are you baptizing them? Why do we baptize people? You guys are really quiet. Steve said, the old is dead, the new has come. That's great. Did you know that when we baptize people, and the word baptism, let me put this down if it won't go to sleep. When we baptize people and we put them under the water, we are picturing what has happened to us with Jesus. As Jesus died and was put in the tomb, we died, and as Jesus was raised out of the tomb, was resurrected to new life, we, come, we get new life with Jesus. Baptism is just as important as going and telling people about Jesus, and it's just as important as regularly being taught. So here's my question. Have you been baptized as a disciple of Jesus? It's a first step. It's one of the things you, you, you become a follower of Jesus and then you get baptized. Baptism is a sign and symbol of faith. It's a sign. It shows that you have faith. It's a symbol. It shows that you have died with Christ and you've been raised to new life with Christ. So here's my invitation to you this morning. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? And if you have, have you been baptized? And if you haven't, why not? Let's talk about it. Because you know, every place that it talks about baptism, it, doesn't, it never talks about being ready to be baptized. It never talks about how much you're supposed to know. It never talks about uh, how old you're supposed to be. It never talks about how many verses you have memorized of the Bible. It's simply a sign and a symbol that says, I belong to Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. Now, occasionally, I go and uh, get a, a drink at happy hour, happy hour at Sonic, thank you. <laughs> Why? And yesterday, I went to Sonic with Braxton. And how did you know that I like Sonic? It's not hard. It's not a trick question. Because I have a Sonic cup. And what does the cup say? It says Sonic. You know I like Sonic. You know I went to Sonic because the sign tells you. You get it? Baptism is a sign. And it tells people, I belong to Jesus. I've died with him and I've been raised to new life with him. Let me give you the ABCs of baptism, okay? The ABCs of baptism and communion, actually. Maybe you've never been taught about baptism. Maybe you've taken communion before and you weren't quite sure what you were doing. Here's the ABCs of baptism. First of all, baptism is an act of faith, okay? When you get baptized or when you take communion, you're saying, I believe. 
It's an act of faith. You're not doing it because your parents told you to do it. You're not doing it because your big brother did it or, or, or somebody else in your class did it. You're doing it as an act of faith. You're saying, I believe. So it's an act of faith. And secondly, it's a statement of belonging. There's the B word, okay? An act of faith and a statement of belonging. When you get baptized, you're saying, I belong to Jesus. I, I, have, a, uh, I have something on my finger up here, don't I, Peyton? Landon, what is it? Everybody knows. It's a ring. And it's not just any ring. It's, it's on a particular finger to say and to be a sign of a particular truth. And that truth for me is that I have this ring on my finger because I belong to Elizabeth. I belong to her. And baptism says I belong to Jesus and I belong to his family that is baptizing me. It's a statement of belonging. And thirdly, C, it's also a celebration of the gospel. And this is why we encourage you to get baptized in front of your church because it's a celebration. It's a celebration of the gospel that says, I have died just as Christ died and I've been raised to new life with him. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. The same thing happens when we take communion. When we come forward and we take the bread and the cup, what are we doing? We are celebrating the gospel that Jesus has given his body and his blood symbolized in bread and wine. And we're celebrating again the good news that Jesus died for us, okay? That's baptism. So back to our passage here. I think I went on, I think I went on sleep here, okay? Hang with me, five more minutes, okay? Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How many of you here are in school? Raise your hands high. Landon, when, get your hands up if you're in school. Landon, when will you, when will you be done with school? When you're done with college, your mom and dad are so happy right now. When you graduate from college, from Oklahoma State University, you will be done just like your big brother. You'll be just follow in his footsteps, certainly not your oldest brother's footsteps, okay? Um, that'd be dangerous. But you'll be done, okay? You'll be done with your school year in a few weeks, right? June, first week of June. You'll graduate from high school with honors in a few years. You'll be done with high school. And then you'll go to Stillwater and you'll do four years, maybe four and a half years, five years if you're lucky. You'll go to Eskimo Joe's and eat a lot of cheese fries. That's all. And, and you'll be done with school, right? Maybe you'll go on and get your master's degree or your PhD, but at some point you'll be done with school. But let me ask you guys this, let me ask you this question. When are you done in the school of discipleship with Jesus. When does that, when do you graduate from that school? Yeah, you don't. You never graduate from being a learner, being a student of Jesus. I mean, you can finish high school, you can finish college, and you're done. You got a piece of paper that says, I know some stuff, I have a diploma. But the life of a student of Jesus, guess what? You're never done learning. You're never done growing. 
You may think, wow, I just learned a lot this morning, and I think I got a handle on the Great Commission here and these four verbs that are in this. Guess what? Man, we are just scratching the surface. And even some of us that have been following Jesus since we were seven years old, man, we're just beginning. Because the life of being a disciple is a life not only of going and of being baptized one time, but it's a lifetime of learning, right? You get baptized once, but you learn forever. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice, though, if I can find my, my pencil here. Notice, though, that we're not just teaching them, and we're not just being taught, but we're being taught to observe, or some translations say, obey. We're not just getting knowledge in our head, but we're being taught to obey all, it's getting messy, isn't it? All that I have commanded you. That's a lot. We have a lot of learning left to do, don't we? We have a lot of growing left to do. But check this out. He gives us, okay, this command. But right here, look at how he ends this. He ends, can you see that? No, you can't. Never mind. I'm not going to try to draw. I'm not going to try to write. He says, I want you to obey all that I've commanded, but he ends in verse 20 with a comfort. And what is the comfort of verse 20? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And guess what? That is to be a comfort to us. Do you know why? Because it's scary to go into all the world, to speak about Jesus, to talk of Jesus at school or at the workplace or with your neighbors across the street. Is anybody besides me ever get scared about that? It's kind of frightening. But Jesus gives us this commission. He gives us this command, but he ends it by giving us a comfort that says, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great comfort? What's the scariest thing? And I'm talking here to kids again. What's the scariest thing that you could face in life? What do you think is the scariest thing? Heights? Snakes? Spiders? What? I can't hear. Satan, scary, but we don't have to be afraid of him. You know why? Because Jesus says he's with us always to the end of the age. You know, you know if, you're, if you're scared of something, if you're scared of snakes or if you're scared of heights, you ever been on, like, on a roller coaster or at the top of a mountain and if you're really scared of heights, you know how afraid you are? That's really scary, right? Think, think about the scariest thing in the world to you right now, okay? Heights, flying, speaking publicly, snakes, whatever. Think about the scariest thing to you. And now I want you to think about this. Think about that scariest thing 
and you're completely alone. Okay? You ever had that feeling, kids? Or you go to the mall, maybe you go to the fair, and all of a sudden, you're with your family, and then all of a sudden, you're lost. You don't know where everyone went. You can't find anyone. And not only are you lost, you don't know where you're going, but you're alone. It's one thing to be fearful, and it's even a worse thing to be fearful and be by yourself. But here's some great news from Jesus. As much as you might face that's fearful, that's scary, even especially talking to people about Jesus, he ends here with the assurance that, hey, as you go, as you talk to people about Jesus, I promise to be with you always, always to the end of the age. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great picture, by the way? Okay, summary, okay? Here we are, conclusion. All right, summary points. This is on the pro presenter, Eric, sorry. And we're gonna sing and celebrate some more, okay? Here's, here's the summary points. Great commission. We're to go every day. That's one of the participles, right? Going, therefore, make disciples. We have a sign as we leave here. Start here, go everywhere. A few of us will go to Haiti. Nine of us, ten of us maybe. But all of us will leave here and we'll go somewhere different. And you won't live on the street I live on. I won't live on the street that you live on probably. But you'll go somewhere. And Jesus said, as you go, going, make disciples. Prayer, care, and share. That's our theme this year, right? So we're to go every day. Secondly, we're to be baptized as a one-time proclamation of faith. Okay, we're to be baptized as a one-time proclamation of faith. If you've never, if you've trusted Jesus and you've never made that one-time proclamation of faith, would you please talk to us? Would you please talk to one of the pastors, Miss Rebecca, one of our elders? What's holding you back? We go we're baptized, and then thirdly, we are to be taught as a lifetime process of faith, okay? We are to be taught as a lifetime process of faith. And I think what that means is that we're taught personally, we're also taught corporately. And so we gather on Sunday mornings, and hopefully we're taught together. Whoever's up here teaching, preaching, we're being taught, but guess what? We, we also need to be, be in the scriptures personally, and we also need to be in the scriptures around a table or a small group with some brothers or sisters in Christ. We have an adult Bible fellowship that meets every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and there's great teaching and great learning in that class. We also have two ladies' Bible studies throughout the week, one in the evening and one in the morning. We have two men's Bible studies in the evenings, and these are all opportunities for us to get around and in the Word of God so the Word of God can get in us. Amen? So we're to go every day. We're to be baptized as a one-time proclamation of faith, and we are to be taught as a lifetime process of faith. Every one of us has more to learn, has new areas to grow. And that's the Great Commission. That's what we are supposed to be doing, learning, 
And that's what we're supposed to help other people do and become and learn. Okay? Got it? Prayer, care, share. There's someone you're going to meet tomorrow at school. There's someone that you work with tomorrow. There's someone that you live next door to this afternoon or tomorrow that God has strategically placed you there to respond to Easter, to respond to the resurrection by making disciples. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that you have rescued us from darkness, that you've rescued us from hopelessness, and that you have not only brought us into a new family, but that you have given us a new responsibility and that responsibility to be about your kingdom work with our neighbors as well as the nations. So Holy Spirit, I pray that um, our time this morning has helped us to understand a little bit more, perhaps to be motivated a little bit more, and to leave here from worship and go out these doors everywhere to be worshipers who witness for you. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Haiti. We thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who are about the same task that we are, the same mission that we are on. I pray that you would encourage their hearts this morning too. Holy Spirit, change us. Help us to follow you more closely. Help us to love you more deeply. And help us to share you more boldly. It's in our Savior's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.